You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Therapy for Women podcast. Therapy for Women podcast. Today we're interviewing Fern, Fernanda. Fernanda, Fernanda, Fern, whatever you want to call me, I'll accept. (laughs) Fern, you are in charge of our old city office technically, right? Technically, that's what the title says at least. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm the old city clinical coordinator and one of our resident sex therapists. Yes, yes. What is your journey to becoming you a sex therapist. Um, why did you become a therapist specifically in that too? Yeah. So people always think I'm crazy when I share this, but I've wanted to be a therapist since I was like 16 or 17. Oh, wow. yeah. I, I don't think that's a common thing. Like it's I don't not. think most teenagers are like, no. I want to listen to people's problems for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> No, for like, not at all. <laughs> but I'll admit, I think I have had qualities that make kind of like the traditional therapist since a really young age. Like I have – I'll share the story. If my Aunt May is listening to this, hi, Aunt May, um, <laughs> because this is a story with her. So when I was really young, I want to say the second grade, I my Aunt May smoked and I took her aside and <laughs> – oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I know where this is going. <laughs> and I took her aside. I, like, walked her, like, like where are, we lived in upstate New York at the time and, like, took her on a walk. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're May. eight in second grade-ish, right? I think so, eight or seven. Yeah, eight. something like yeah. that. And I'm old, I was old for my grade that I was always in, so I was probably eight. And I said, Aunt May, I said, why do you smoke? <laughs> and, um, you know, she told me for whatever reason, I said, and I was, I was very understanding as an eight-year-old. <laughs> And um, <laughs> I basically was like, I hear you, but it's really bad for you. And I, I don't think you should smoke anymore. And she literally never smoked again. Oh, my wow. God. I was not <laughs> yeah. expecting that. No. Yeah. I mean, that's the story she tells me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so who knows if that's true. But so kind of going off of that story, right, like I've – since a young age, I've always been someone who – has been very observant and really likes to talk to people and help them with whatever they're struggling with. I'm also the youngest of six, and I think that speaks a lot to my therapeutic skills. I could Personal. see that. Yeah. 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 Because there's like a big age difference, right, between you and your siblings. At least me and my oldest. So my twin sisters are 11 years older than me for most of the year. And then I have my three brothers in between. So my mm-hmm. brother that's closest to me in age is – for most of the year, he's three years older than me. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, – they're all pretty like three, four years mm-hmm. spread out or so. I'm probably doing that math wrong, but – um, except my oldest brother. He was very quick after the twins. <laughs> so because I feel like the stereotype is like the oldest sibling takes care of the youngest. Were yeah. you like the young sibling that like took care of your older siblings? You know, it's funny. I, I wouldn't say that. And again, if my siblings are listening, you all can tell me later. Um, <laughs> 
But no, you know, I don't think that I was someone who was taking care of my siblings. I think I was really skilled at sitting back and observing everyone around me. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can see that in just like who you are. (laughs) Yeah. Just taking it all in, processing it all, and Mm -hmm. then trying to figure out where to fit in. I've been told that a lot actually in like previous jobs where they're like, yeah, like we notice, you know, in like group supervisions, you don't talk up much. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm literally just watching and listening to everyone around me. I am not someone who is used to uh, inserting my voice. Again, my siblings might disagree with that, so they'll <laughs> let me know. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say youngest, right? Like kind of just following through, right? Like mm-hmm. follow along what everybody else is doing, let you join in type thing. Yeah. If they wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I do. I think I think my family dynamics had a lot to do with like the personality that I developed and, and who I became. And, and so, yeah, so when I was a teenager, I was like, I think I want to be – a therapist and I think that's also yeah. interesting because I feel like not met like it's interesting that you knew what a therapist was Did you, were you because were you in therapy yeah I should okay. probably so yes, yes. I was okay. I my parents were going through a separation and ultimately a divorce at the time yeah. okay and so I was the only one of my siblings who was also living at home because they'd all you know gone to college or were out of college living their own lives and my parents saw that I was struggling and so they're like you're gonna go to therapy was <laughs> <laughs> that and now I'm like that was a good choice back then. Yeah. I was not happy about it, as most teenagers are not happy to be in therapy. So, okay, yeah, did it then. end up being a positive experience? Did you like your therapist, or were you like, "I'm going to become a therapist so that I'm not like you"? <laughs> a mixed bag, right? Yeah. So, I think generally, I did. She was a good therapist. There were some blurred lines that I like now as an adult and now as a therapist. I'm not super happy with. Like, yeah. my therapist was also my parents couples mm. therapists and oh. also their individual always, therapists. Always a very big red flag anyone out there. Yes. If you're no, no. yeah, if your therapist is seeing somebody else directly in your family, no. Go somewhere else. Yeah. 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 Find another therapist. Teletherapy <sighs> yeah. is such a big thing these days. Like even if you live in a small town, find you another someone therapist. Someone who's impartial. Yes. Yeah. 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 That is actually what I love about teletherapy these days is like it opened up that gate so people that are in those Mm -hmm. places where it's hard to get treatment yeah they can have treatment now yeah mm -hmm. absolutely it opened up so many doors for for everybody so so yeah when I look back on that experience like I said now as an adult and now as a therapist myself I'm like that wasn't great um but my experience like she was a good therapist and she helped me a lot and I am really thankful that my parents made that decision even though a lot of days I was really angry with them and I didn't want to go um you know, it was a place where I could really break down and talk about how sad I was that my parents' marriage was ending. I was going to yeah. say, that's awesome that your parents recognized and were like, we should put you in therapy versus, you know, the opposite of that of like, well, why do you need to go talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. Just talk mm-hmm. to our family. We don't talk about those things outside of here. Keep it here. Yeah. You know? um, right. Yeah. Especially think- for like how, you know, I feel like therapy has become a lot less taboo in the past 20 mm-hmm. years but you know 20 years ago it was still not super talked about no yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and i and honestly i think that probably did come at the recommendation of their therapist you know i think my guess is that they probably were talking about how i was struggling in their couple session and their therapist probably said well why don't you bring 
my family calls me Fernie. And so they were probably like, why don't you bring Fernie in, you know, for a session and I, and I can see her. And, and so it was, it was good. And I'm glad that they were, they were open to that and didn't just kind of, you know, get mad at me because I was being a like crappy teenager at the time. Yeah. It's amazing. Really. Yeah. And like, yeah, to have that foresight, but also to give you that space, right? Like, I'm sure that's helped you then realize, like you said, to be the therapist that you wanted to be. So, mm-hmm. so Fern, tell me a li- or tell us a little bit about how you then decided, like, where you wanted to go to school and, like, that path to actually get you to the therapy part. Because right? you went to school, right, to become a sex therapist. Yeah, yeah. So I so I guess the the background of this is that when I was in high school, you you know, you took bio, you took physics, you took chemistry, and then your fourth year, you could take one of the APs if you got into it, but we had the option of doing something called human development. Okay. Which was essentially just a very advanced health class. Hmm. You know, we did the cool projects where you get the real babies where you got to stick the keys in or else they like cry or, you know. I know none about – like nothing about health class or any of that stuff. Like I went, to, ca- I went to Catholic school. Well. school. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Gabby. That's why. No sex ed. I didn't Adam even – Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Chastity abstinence, guys. Come on now. I didn't <laughs> – even have to take health class. There's a dirty secret. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, wow. see, I was the I was the student where I went up to my teacher one day and was like, "What would happen if one of the students got pregnant?" Like I and she yeah. was like, "You just made me very concerned." I was like, "Oh no, no, it's not me." <laughs> I was like, "I'm genuinely just Wait, wondering." Like <laughs> you didn't have pregnant. Mm-mm. No, I don't know if okay. it was. So for background for people. The lack of sex ed really, really worked in your The lack of sex ed actually was concerning because, yes, I had a number of friends that had babies before we graduated. Yeah, no, not at my school. Sex ed doesn't work, ladies and gentlemen. No. (laughs) Abstinence does not work. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Sex ed works. Sex ed. More sex ed. Yeah. Yes. Comprehensive sex ed. There you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, yeah. And in our school, you know, so I grew up in upstate New York and then I grew up in Puerto Rico up until when I went to college. And I, you know, in Puerto Rico, if you can, you try to go to a private school if you can afford it or you get a scholarship or what have you. And um, uh, the school, like if anyone was getting pregnant, no one was talking about it. But like Mm -hmm. I didn't have a single friend who, as far as I know, got pregnant and, and no one that magically got a kid after we graduated so <laughs> I, yeah I, I was just really curious I was like would they get kicked out like and and she was like you know I don't know and so she went and talked to actually like other people and came back and gave me an answer I was like no you know we would just we'd figure it out mm-hmm. but it just wasn't a thing that happened in our in our school that's yeah that, I think that's pretty cool right like I, maybe so, it also yeah, speaks were... yeah to the different yeah. time of when I was going to school too because Teen pregnancy was very high back in the mm. two, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and I also, I also think, too, we, went, we were at a private school, right, versus like, uh, like a public school. The people at the school were definitely middle, upper class um, versus like lower class, like just in socioeconomic status. And we know that teen pregnancy tends to run, run in lower um, socioeconomic places. So there's a lot of things that could be, be there. But, yeah, we didn't we – didn't, have any teen pregnancies that I knew of. So 
I was definitely the student in that class. I was like, I have another question and I have another question. I was really interested in human development and I was really into sex ed and sexual health. And again, I'm sure people thought I was crazy because I was a teenager just diving headfirst into all of this. And so when I was looking at colleges for undergrad, I didn't want, I knew I didn't want to do psychology. I, I just felt, it felt generic to me, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And like nothing wrong with it. That's just like where my head was at. And so I looked for colleges that had human development as a major instead of a minor because it's very common mm. as a minor. Okay. And I ended up applying to a couple different schools and I decided to go to University of Connecticut, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. offers human development and family studies. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it's kind of like – honestly, it's kind of like a social work degree in that mm-hmm. sense. Like you learn a lot about like all the different life stages, working with kids, working with um, – you know, adolescents, working with adults, the elderly, a lot of different capacities. And people will go off and do all sorts of work, getting an um, what they call an HDFS degree. And so then um, I got that degree and I graduated and I knew I didn't want to go to grad school right away. I just didn't feel mentally there to go and get my master's. I knew it was coming down the road, but I just, I didn't want to do it yet. Makes yeah, sense. Pretty, yeah, I was, burnt, I was burnt out from undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, so I stayed in Connecticut and I worked as a lead medical assistant uh, at Planned Parenthood, which is a controversial place to work, but I had a really good experience and mm-hmm. I learned a lot. Um, and I, you know, I learned how to draw people's blood wow. and take yeah. blood pressure. And Look at you, Fern. I know. And I was going to say, are you like a certified like medical assistant also, Fern? Technically not. So okay. um, Planned Parenthood at least in Southern New England, which is the branch I was a part of. Um, at the time, you know, they do all their own training and everything. So mm, okay. it's not uncommon for medical assistants who are like certified to come in and mm-hmm. that's their job. Okay. Um, but they also have RNs because they're the ones who give all the injections or like yeah. the um, APRNs, midwives, things like that. Okay. Um, but if you don't come in and you just come in with either like your high school diploma or your undergrad degree, they do all their training for you. So they – teach you how to draw blood. They teach you how to do the blood pressure. They teach you how to like awesome. look for all these signs and symptoms. It was a really great experience. It yeah. definitely, um, I feel like gives me a unique background when it comes to like sexual health and education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was there for, gosh, three and a half years. Okay. Loved it. But it was time, it was time to go when it was time to go. And thank God for my mother because she really was like, you need to apply for school. I don't like, you're probably not going to go back if you don't do like, you need to, you need to do it. You need <laughs> yeah. to go. Yeah. Well, I was like, oh, well, you're still in your twenties. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know, I know. So I finally did it right. Procrastination yeah. at its best. Um, and I ended up only applying to two schools. I applied to Widener, Gabby. So <laughs> similar. Yep. And I applied to Jefferson in Philly and just debating between the two programs. Jefferson just felt like a better fit. Um, and so I went there and I graduated, thankfully. <laughs> um, and that was a really, you know, that was a great experience. It was. You went to Jefferson, so at, though, for what? what's your master's in specifically? So my master's, it's a master's in, so it was really funny. So all of us were pretty confused when we graduated because we're like, what's our master's technically in? Because we'd heard a couple things. I was like, oh, it's like a master's of science. We're like, well, that's okay. But it's technically a master's in marriage and family therapy. Okay. 
But like, I think the title actually, no, I don't have my diploma hung up. I should. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you're, you're an MFT and then you became an LMFT. Yep. Yeah. So I think the master's is technically like a master of science, but it's family therapy. Okay. You know? Gotcha. That's yeah. what MFT. Um, but yeah. And then at Jefferson, they offered either like a family medicine track or a sex therapy track. And that was the big pull for me to go to Jefferson is they had a sex therapy specific track. Okay. Um, so you're in a cohort. It's a very small program. I think we had 16 people. So mm-hmm. you like all take the same classes at the same time. And the only time you split up is when you take the family medicine class versus like the sex therapy classes. Okay. Um, but other than that, you're all together all the time, uh, which was, you know, has its ups and downs. But I think ultimately yeah. it was like a very, very good experience. Um, so yeah, I graduated with my master's, became an MFT. So that's a marriage and family therapist. They are changing it, I think, or they're talking about changing oh. it to a CFT, so a couples and family therapist, mm, okay. but that hasn't officially happened yet. So for now, it's an MFT. Yeah. Okay. I guess marriage is kind of outdated in terms of like you can do couples work and they don't need to be, be married. married. Yeah. Oh, right. It's a little um, exclusive yeah. Yeah. in that way. And there's yeah. so many people these days too that don't even get married. They're just committed to each other. Right, yeah. exactly. So I think they want it to be more inclusive, and um, so the, that's like the talk I've heard, but nothing official has has happened yet. So mm-hmm. right now it's an MFT. So once I graduated, I got a job at um, Path. It's in Northeast Philly. It's you know it was a great great company. I had a really good experience working there too, um, and I worked in our children's mobile intervention services program. Oh, so it's called CMIS, okay. and um, it's a crisis program. So it's not as high level as like inpatient or residential or a partial program. And we're not mobile crisis where like you can call that twenty four seven number. Where we you can call them if you're struggling with like your kid, and they like come out right away and see you. It's a step below that. So um, we, you know, it was mobile therapy. So we saw people in their homes and in schools. And um, a lot of times it was a step down from people like just getting out of partial. Sometimes residential just kind of depended on what was happening with them. So that was, again, a really great experience working in community behavioral health. But it obviously ultimately wasn't what I wanted to do, right? That wasn't sex therapy. I was going to say, like, Um, did you like working with kids? Because that's always a tough population. I did. I never wanted to work with kids. No. No. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. I love teenagers. I love them so much. They're hilarious and so straightforward. Bless you. <laughs> it, you know, they're just – and maybe – you know what? Maybe if I think about back, – back to this, I think about like, well, how was I as a teenager? Like outside mm-hmm. of what my parents were going through and then me as a result of their, their separation and divorce – I, I like to think I was a pretty good teenager. Like, I wasn't that bad. Um, but I do remember what it was like to be a teen. And it was just hard. And it was emotional. Yeah. And I was going to say, I would never yeah. want to be a teen today. No. Oh, God. oh no. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. No. And no. what is it? I mean, I don't know if people still talk about it. But I feel like when you were in – when I was a teenager and in college, everything is – this is the best time of your life. This is the best – like, who, like what? puberty is horrible. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I was told that so much, and it was not true. I was miserable. I was gonna say I really liked my high school experience. Um, I just thank God that I did not have a tracking device on me, aka a cell phone, and there were not cameras, <laughs> not cameras out there because not so not social media either. Not social mm-hmm. media, not like a phone, a cam- not a camera in a pocket. There are videos. Um, 
from a handheld camera that my girlfriend used to bring out <laughs> from back in the day that I would like her to keep tucked far away. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I could I could not survive today as a yeah. teenager. No, bless bless those teens because you know, like when when I was growing up, right, I was in that age of like there was AOL, then there was my fiance made fun of me the other day because I mentioned MSN Messenger, and he mm. he like cackled and was like, "What are you talking about?" Yes, that was, was like, a thing. MSN Messenger, and he was like, "That was not he, that was not a thing." And I was like, "Yes, it was." He goes, "Maybe in Puerto Rico." <laughs> I was like, "You're so rude." Aim right? A I M. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Random random chat rooms. ASL. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ASL. (laughs) Yeah. And then there was MySpace, but, like, it's obviously just gotten Mm -hmm. bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And I – yeah, I can't imagine being a a teen growing up in the the era that we're in right now, so – I would like kudos, to go – I vote for Facebook to go back to thefacebook.com mm. and for us to have to have an EDU uh, mm. email address to get on there. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, it was it was, it was was a good time working with teens and, um, and we worked with kids from ages 4 to 17. So it was a, a pretty big range. But I definitely liked the like preteen teenagers best. Like the, the little kids are so cute and mm-hmm. I loved working with them, but it's a different type of therapy, right? So for, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, traditionally when you're working with younger kids, you're doing play therapy, mm-hmm. um, which is just a different kind of therapy than what we see traditionally with talk therapy with adults. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, kids are not super talkative. Yeah. And they're going to respond better to like playing therapeutic games and learning about behavior charts and stuff like that. So lots of um, rewards. Yeah. 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 So it was was a really good time, but it was it was time to move on. And so I reached out to Therapy for Women. I did not see that they were hiring, (laughs) but I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Okay. And I sent a very – I honestly, I am the proudest of myself that I sent the email that I did because it was like, this is what I specialize in. You don't have anyone at your mm-hmm. practice who does this. I think I'd be a great asset. Mm-hmm. Let me know. And I was really impressed with myself for being that confident. Yeah. <laughs> that is some confidence there, Fern, honestly. Like, you're like, here it is. Mm-hmm. Will you please hire me? Let's yeah, go. Please, please, please. <laughs> Please take me on. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was let's see, that was the fall of twenty twenty, and then I did an interview with you, Amanda, mm-hmm. and then you started in, my, in January. Like, yeah, 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 and then started in January. Amanda said to me specifically, um, "I'll call you in January," <laughs> and I said, "Okay." And so January first rolled around. And I was like, "I hope she calls me." And it was like four days later, Amanda reached out. I was like, "Do you still want a job?" <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. Please. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I quit my my other job, and obviously, the pandemic was was still going on, and and then I've been here solo since April twenty twenty one. Yeah, wild. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you work with couples, and you do sex therapy. So, for mm-hmm. those people that don't know what that is, yeah, tell, tell us, us about it. Yeah, yeah, tell us about sex therapy. What is different about sex therapy compared to regular therapy. Yeah. yeah, there's so many different types. Also, it's like couples sex therapy a thing? Because I'm not really sh- sure. I think yeah. so. So I'll say this first of all. For anyone who's listening who thinks sex therapy is when I watch people have sex, that is absolutely <laughs> not it. <laughs> you're, so you're not Johnson and jo- or Johnson and uh, Masters? <laughs> no. No, I am not. And I also don't want to be. <laughs> also, I think of, I think, um, 
you know the movie Meet the Fockers? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think of like the mom in Meet yes. the Fockers who has like pillows and – Yes. <laughs> Listen, don't get me wrong that if I could be a fly on the wall to some degree to help couples out specifically and be like, oh, do this or do that or try that, mm-hmm. I would. However, no. It's not therapeutic. <laughs> and I'd rather make suggestions and see what they do with that at yeah. home in their own time and the privacy of their, you know, own yeah. space and come back and talk to me about it. Um, so sex therapy. So yeah, you can do sex therapy with couples. You can do it individually. You can do it with uh, polyamorous relationships. There really isn't like a limit. Um, mm-hmm. Only people you don't really generally do sex therapy with is like your family members. Yeah. Right. But um, see that. Sex, yeah, <laughs> but sex therapy, you know, everyone kind of has their own niche within sex therapy, right? Like kind of what we were talking about in the previous episode with OCD, there's lots of different like subcategories okay. of sex therapy, right? So some people focus more on trauma, um, you know, uh, sexual assault, things like that, uh, like healing and processing. Okay. Some people focus more on um, sex and gender, right, identity, orientation, um, f- figuring out who you are and what you want and who you like and all those okay. fun things. Yeah. Um, some people might focus more on, which is more what I do, which is more about intimacy, connection, okay. um, getting in touch with your body, pleasure, and just having like ideally enjoyable, pleasurable Some form of a sex life. So would that for then be like that type of work working with people that have like shame around sex in their bodies? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually work with a lot of clients who particularly have a lot of shame um, around sex and pleasure and their bodies from a religious background. Mm, That's what I was definitely thinking about. So we talked about earlier, right? Like me going to Catholic school and Mm -hmm. I work with clients a lot of times that are Catholic and they talk about their Catholic yeah. guilt and then they're like yeah. bring in sometimes like this guilt around sex and I'm like mm-hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about it but let's hear more from you Fern because so I can <laughs> take that back to my sessions <laughs> yeah yeah so there's a there's a lot of people like the thing is is like religion can be such a wonderful amazing thing right like I think so many people benefit from believing in something other than themselves right yeah, um and the community yeah, community, feeling connected to other people, sharing similar beliefs. Like there's lots of benefits to, yeah. to religion or just like a joint community. Um, thing with particularly organized religion typically is that there is a lot of deeply ingrained shame and we'll say like rules that you're supposed to follow when it comes to like sex and intimacy. And so um, while I did not go to Catholic school, I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so – So you got it. You still got yeah. – You got still the same Catholic guilt. <laughs> yeah, Catholic guilt still very much exists in this body. <laughs> I, I know what it what it means to be raised in a certain community, even if it's not – even if my family wasn't deeply religious where they would shame me by any means, I still know what it means to be surrounded in that environment. Yes, with yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that is very much a thing that a lot of people experience and it takes really, it takes a lot of time to undo the work that, um, that other people have put in to make us feel bad about our sex lives. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Right. Like, but- yeah, even like, I'm getting married in June, right? And we're mm-hmm. doing the full Catholic ceremony. So part of that is we have to do these – it's now called a joy-filled marriage courses. Oh, not pre-cana It's anymore. not pre-cana anymore. Oh. Yeah, it's called joy-filled marriage. Um, 
in the first half of it, fine, I can handle because they actually like pulled in a lot of like Gottman esque mm. stuff. Love that. Could For not. Those that don't know, Gottman is like amazing. That's like the gold standard of like couples um, work, couples therapy. Oh yeah, yes. I could talk about them all day. John and Julie Gottman, they've got great stuff. Yes. Yeah, we'll do another episode just just on, on them. Gottman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I could get behind some of that, and then what I really like struggled though with was around like the sex stuff, and I was just like, please make this stop. This is like. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. it's like, save yourself. And if you've tried this, you know, stop now and hold back. Sorry mm-hmm. for anybody listening. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering, Gabby, is there also like them trying to say like you shouldn't live with your partner before and stuff oh, 100%, like that? 100%, right? Yeah. So we had to do like a live class this past week and – it was like you have to be together in the same space, but they like I it was like kind of like alluding to like you can't live like live together before marriage, but literally every person that introduced themselves like, yeah, we live in, you know, Delaware County, we live in Westchester, right. we live in Philly, we're here. They're all we all of us were living together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think it's so funny too, because it's like I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Fern, with research, but I feel like statistically it's better to live with someone before you get married. <laughs> you know, I think uh, – yes, right. So I couldn't bring up an exact number right, right mm-hmm. now. But there are plenty of couples who don't live together before they get married and their relationships are totally fine. There just might yeah. be a stronger learning curve at yeah. the very beginning, right? Yeah. Um, however, like there are some – Things that some people intentionally or not hide from their significant other, and you don't find out until you live together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so there, there can certainly be a really big benefit to sharing a living space, even if that doesn't mean like you're you actually live in the same home, right? Even mm-hmm. if that means like, well, one week you live together in this house, mm-hmm. and then in the okay. next yeah. week you live in this house. Like, good idea. Yeah. But there is a benefit to being able to see how your partner lives so you can kind of troubleshoot before you're actually sharing the space versus like talking in hypotheticals and being like, well, if this happened, what would you do? Like, yeah, you can only hypothetical something so much. Yeah, living mm-hmm. with somebody, you can actually see how they respond to like things going wrong in the home or like 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 even like the little mishaps of like a sink leaking, right? Like some people can mm-hmm. handle that they, those things and some people cannot no yeah and like how much alone time you need i think too you know when you're not living with someone you don't have to manage saying to someone i need alone time yeah right now because it's a little more built in right absolutely you get to separate yes the (laughs) end of the day or the end of the date or on the weekend or whatever you there's a like i said there's there's a learning curve when you decide to live with someone and figuring out each other and what you both need Mm -hmm. do you see more couples struggling with like alone time stuff because of the pandemic fern Mm, maybe maybe not as much now with things Mm -hmm. having settled just a little bit yeah um but during the pandemic oh my gosh yes i think so many people especially the poor poor couples who lived in like a one-bedroom apartment or even a studio oh Oh. god Oh. <laughs> yeah, like there were couples who lived in studios, but they both didn't work from home. So right. it was mm-hmm. fine. It made sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then a uh, lockdown happened and you have one square foot of space and you're both trying to work from home and be in meetings and do phone calls and 
Oh god! It only have one door to a bathroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it does not. It did not work for a lot of people. Um, and kudos to all the couples that made it out of oh. lockdown and were still in a relationship. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely think the pandemic had. I think it had some really positive effects, and and people might argue with me that this wouldn't be a positive thing. But I think the pandemic made a lot of people look at the relationships that they had okay. and really had to confront the things that were either really great or not so great in their relationship and either work on them and fix them or not be together anymore for whatever reason. Yeah. To, yeah. to me, that's a really good thing, right? Because yeah. you couldn't avoid it. Yeah. Did you see like totally. – I was going to say like back to like sex therapy, right? Like mm-hmm. this more time together, right? Like people always think like, oh, if we had more time together, we'd have more sex. It's mm. a good question. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my answer did to it, that. <laughs> actually like in, like my question is like did it actually like increase sex or were people like so much together that they're like i just want you not to even look at me i can't even listen to you breathe yeah so it's actually funny i did an interview for the philly inquirer yeah and we, okay and we talked about this and we talked about how people were reporting um like uh, fewer instances of like physical intimacy in their relationships. And um, I wish I could have expanded on it more, but in the article, I think I say like, we know why this is happening. <laughs> like, But the reality is, is that it's not about the quantity of time that you spend with someone. It's about that quality of time that you spend with someone, right? Yeah. So you could see each other every single day, but if it's not quality time with that person, if you're not enjoying that time, why would you ever want to have sex? Yeah. Like, why would you feel connected enough to have sex versus if you're having quality time, regardless of the amount of it, right? Quality time once a week or seven days a week, which that's impressive. <laughs> like, <laughs> you Can know. Can we dispel the myth right there, Fern, too, that like, I think there is this myth that like to be in a successful relationship, you have to have sex this amount of times per week or there's something wrong if you go through a dry spell. Mm -mm. This is the thing, especially if you are really committing your life to someone, right? If you're like, listen, you're it until the day I die. And we could go into a whole bunch of nuances (laughs) with that. But (laughs) like if you're really committing to a person, life is going to come at you and it's going to come at you hard. And there are going to be times where you do. You're going to be like back in the honeymoon stage. You're going to want to have sex all the time. You're going to be like grabbing at each other. And then there are going to be times where you're like, get your feet off my side of the couch. And I don't want to be near you at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't mean you love your partner any less. It just yeah. means yeah. like you don't want to jump their bones all the time. And that's okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that's so important. I love to – what Esther Perel talks about with like part of eroticism is actually like mystery and like oh, yeah, yeah. space and time apart. So it is really hard to – it's hard to feel that when you are living in a studio apartment mm-hmm. <laughs> with, yeah. and work from home because yeah. there's no space for mystery or to imagine. It's true. <laughs> Esther Perel is awesome. For anyone who doesn't know, Esther Perel is amazing, fantastic. She writes so many amazing books. I would recommend pretty much any of them. She also has an amazing podcast too. Yes. So yeah. if you like yes. podcasts. And she has yeah. – there's like a series too, like a TV show, right, based on her sessions. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I thought there was. Maybe I'm wrong. I know there's a podcast. I know there's a podcast, but I, I think there's like a series on HBO or 
Amazon oh, or something. Oh, I think you're right, maybe. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. But yeah, yeah no. Esther Perel is, is where it's at. If you're looking into wanting to read some information on couples, she's got great stuff. Her, um, the Gottmans. We're just like ta- – we're, we're like gushing over here like fangirls. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, I think when it, when it comes to someone's sex life, right, like – Mystery is, I think, important. I think having quality time is important. But also knowing that there's no room for comparison when it comes to your sex life, right? Like Mm -hmm. unless you're unhappy. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I might be happy having sex once a month. Mm -hmm. And if my partner is satisfied with that too, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else could be like, I have to have sex three times a week. And I feel really dissatisfied in my relationship if I don't have that, right? And that's something that you have to talk about with your partner. Because again, that's all that matters. Like you and your partner or partners, like as long as you all are happy and satisfied with your sex life, that really is all that matters. You can't – and there's a very few times that I'll use the word like you can't, but you really can't compare yourself to other people's sex lives because they're not in it with you and you're not in it with them. And so really it's no one's business. Makes sense, right? Like – Comparing apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. also like what you like, they might not like either. Mm-hmm. And what you're into, that other couple might not ever be into. Mm-hmm. That too. I think that's a big thing, right? Is like I think for some people, depending on their interests sexually, mm-hmm. sex can take a lot out of you. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it can like it can feel it can feel really, really good and satisfying, but also feel really depleting depending on the type of play that you're engaging in. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it can feel really rejuvenating and they want to have like sex yeah. again and soon, right? And other yeah. people are like, hold on, I need like this is coming up or this is how I'm feeling and I need like a couple of days to recuperate yeah. and kind of get back to my baseline. So that's like a deeper conversation of like sexual pleasures and fetishes and kinks and all that. Yeah. But it's so unique. I think like mm-hmm. just circling back to like that guilt stuff, do you find like couples mm-hmm. have like after sex, they have the gu- like, increased guilt and then there's mm-hmm. like that like desire to like – pull away maybe ever yeah okay. absolutely you know not for not, not for every single person but yeah. i do think it's not uncommon for people to feel shame and guilt like if you already feel shame and guilt about sex and pleasure mm-hmm. it's very likely that you may feel that way during or after yeah um, mm-hmm. any form of like physical intimacy with a partner yeah so yeah. like people feeling like shame or guilt about even like orgasms or having an yeah. orgasm themselves Oh my gosh, yes. Like there are some people out there, right, who feel so much shame um, and guilt about pleasure that they don't even allow themselves to get to the point of orgasm. Oh, wow. Mm. Right? That's so, they, so like, block yeah. themselves. Yeah, they like stop it. They're like, nope, can't get there. It almost feels like unsafe, right? It feels mm-hmm. dangerous. So mm-hmm. you're like, nope, that's not going to happen. Mm. And orgasms aren't everything, but when you have them, they usually feel pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Um, yeah, shame and, and guilt are can be a really, really big hindrance to experiencing any form of sexual pleasure, like whether that's from past experiences, whether that's from a religious background that there was a lot of shame kind of um, implemented mm-hmm. in your life. But, or I think too yeah. just like thinking about even just purity culture. Like I wasn't oh, yeah. raised Catholic or anything like that, but I feel like I had to deal with working through just – the messages I was told growing up about what it is to be a quote unquote good girl and you yeah. know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's just – it's wild when you identify purity culture. You just see it everywhere in oh, our yeah. society. Yeah. 
You really, you really do. And without going into an entire conversation about like Which, sex yeah, and we gender, could go to a, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe we will. Like, well, it's it's but like, you know what I mean. I think specifically for like like we'll say cis hetero yeah. women, right? Yeah. There is this huge culture about the Madonna horror complex, right? Yes. Like you've got to be the saint and the sinner. You've got to be the stripper and the librarian. As like, ludicrous says, a lady in the streets, but a freaking <laughs> sheep. That should be our tagline for this episode, I think. <laughs> but no, seriously, right? Like if that's something that you want to embody, right? If that's something where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I kind of like that I appear one way and then I mm-hmm. feel like that's like secret thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Kudos to you. Yes. Great. But if you feel pressured to do that, right? Yeah. If you're like, well, I have to appear pure and delicate and feminine, whatever that mm-hmm. means these days, right? Like all, all of these things, but to a partner and again, if we're thinking about purity culture, right, to a future husband, mm-hmm. I have to know all techniques and skills and okay. have babies and all these things, mm-hmm. but also again, still be a freak. Like also, don't forget it, to be it, like toned and all the other on top of everything, and have a job and keep the house. And we can go yeah. also go down a rabbit hole about yeah, that. And all that. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a lot that we could dig into there, but um, but yeah, no purity purity culture um can be really really damaging. Like mm-hmm. there's, yeah. I would love actually to hear anyone's comments, whether like you know you're listening or see us on social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. I'd love anyone to let me know if they had found a benefit from purity culture, yeah. right? Like if there was anything that you felt like it helped you in some way or it made you feel good because from my own experiences and from what I've always seen and what I've noticed in clients, there's not one thing that has ever helped anybody about purity culture. Yeah. 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 So It's interesting too, I feel like going off of this, like so I'm married I've been married for a few years and I think one of the weirdest things in my experience that happened is I went from being told my whole life that like getting pregnant was like the worst thing that could ever happen to me yes. and it would ruin my life yes mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you get married and they're like it's the best thing that could possibly happen to you when are you having babies mm-hmm. and I'm just like super disoriented because I'm just whiplash. like what yeah. yeah. Like, we never spoke about this in my family. It was – I was going to say, know, like, I feel like, yeah. I was given a book on sex ed. Like, we didn't acknowledge it. And it's it's a mind – it's, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't think there was actually yeah. ever a conversation – like, a sex ed conversation yeah. in my house. I was given a book that – I think that, like, American Girl <laughs> – There was an American okay, yes, Girl yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was called, like, The Care and Keeping of You, you or yes, something. Yes. 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 <laughs> Um, I was gonna say the most sex that I got was um my father. Uh he said something along the lines when I was like sixteen, seventeen. If you're gonna play hide the salami, you better wrap it up. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I cannot make that up. Oh my god. I cannot make that up. All right. I can at least say that my mom my mom <laughs> had this skill of if she had to have a serious conversation with us, she'd wait till we were in the car oh. because because mm, you couldn't leave. You can't leave. Nope. And that's when I got my sex talk. Mm. But I believe it's not a bad strategy. It's not. not a bad strategy. But I believe what I did was I covered my ears and I said, <laughs> I will research it. I will figure it out. And now I'm a sex therapist. Yeah. So like yeah, I think it worked did out. Research it. You did. <laughs> I was gonna say my sex education was coming from the lunchroom. <laughs> oh no. In Cosmos. <laughs> Cosmopolitans. 
Cosmo. And Sex in oh, the man. City. That's where I was getting my sex education from. It's like but. the blind leading the blind there, Gabby. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. 100%. <laughs> well, this was awesome, Fern. Um, we definitely have to do more episodes. I think we could do a whole one on like purity culture yes. and gender mm-hmm. and all of the things all of the that things. we were talking about. Yeah. We- My la- I have one question before we end, I think, and maybe this is like a loaded question, but if someone's listening and they're like, I'm dissatisfied with my sex life beyond going to sex therapy is there anything that you would recommend where do they start mm. yeah so if you're if you're not interested in doing sex therapy which it's not for everybody right honestly there's a load of material out there like we've mentioned the Gottmans a couple of times um they have some like physical intimacy sex stuff but really they're more about like dating and connection mm-hmm. and still great the first thing I'd ask yourself, right, is like, what are you dissatisfied with, right? Is mm-hmm. it actually your sex life or is that a symptom of what's going on in your relationship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's the sex life and that's bleeding into the relationship, but more often than not, it is the relationship bleeding into your sex life. There are a couple of courses out there that you can do. I don't have the names on me um, on the top of my head, but we can put them in the show notes yep. mm-hmm. um, after I gather them. But there's, you know, a couple workshops you can do and like they're just do at home. There's something you have to like attend live um, that can help with intimacy. There's challenges you can do. Um, there's a couple doctors uh, on social media that I follow that do these, but one is like, you know, they send you an email every day for mm-hmm. 30 days and you can either pick the like kind of like sexy activity or the more just like connecting activity, but they're both like physically intimate. Uh, you guys are both going to totally nod your heads at this, but there are two great books. <laughs> there's one called Come As You Are, which is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there's another one that is called She Comes First. Mm-hmm both great books. Um, I will say that they're more geared towards cis-hetero relationships, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, but I still think there's valuable information in both of those books. My Holy Bible, though, and this is the last recommendation I I will give. It's actually holding up my microphone right now. It's called called The Guide to Getting It On. Oh. They just released their most recent edition. I want to say it's like their 10th or 11th edition. Wow. They have a couple. Comprehensive. Yeah. Honestly, it really is. It's my holy grail. It's my Bible. It talks about it talks about techniques it talks about mm-hmm. um how to talk about consent it talks mm. about sexting um it talks oh. about getting to know your body like if there's one book about like sex and sexuality and pleasure guide to getting it on it's by paul joanides i'm totally butchering that <laughs> it's j-o a-n-n-i-d-e-s great book that's my number one recommendation and if none of those work for you you should probably come find me at Therapy for Women. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't see Fern, we have two other amazing yes, sex therapists we do. Yes, as well. Yeah. yeah, and they are fabulous. And they – yeah, I would recommend them 10 out of 10 all the time. So awesome. we, we've got your back. So, yeah, we have got plenty of sex therapy therapists mm-hmm. these days at Therapy for Women, even like interns these days. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do have an intern who's a sex therapist right now too. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of options for everybody. Yeah. So – Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for everybody for coming. Fern, thanks for chatting with us and going down some random rabbit holes with us. (laughs) Of course. Thank you for for asking me questions. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope it was helpful and insightful and there will just 
be more to come. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everything will be linked in the show notes, like we said. And if you have questions or topics you'd like us to talk about, email us at podcast at therapyforwomencenter.com. Yes. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To view sources mentioned, suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.